This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 180 for April 2023, with Gabe Hughes on the controversies in the Southern Baptist Convention. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 180 for April 2023. Gabe Hughes is associate pastor of First Baptist Church in Lindale, Texas. He's also an author and creator of WWUTT, or When We Understand the Text, a ministry in which he creates YouTube videos, writes books, and has a daily podcast. For this episode, Gabe joins us to discuss a major controversy within the Southern Baptist Convention over the ordination of women as pastors and how it threatens to divide the SBC. We also talk about why this issue is important and why those of us who are not Southern Baptists should be paying attention and praying for our Southern Baptist brethren. For those who like video, this episode is available on Rumble, YouTube, and the Echo Zoe Locals page. It's also embedded on the episode page, which is at echozoe.com 180. The show notes for this episode will be pretty light as the episode's going out so late. But there will be an additional resources section, and which will have links to articles on the subject at that section of the show notes page. Before we start, I want to mention the Christian Podcast Community. The Christian Podcast Community has a large and growing library with many excellent, biblically faithful podcasts. And you can find an entire list at christianpodcastcommunity.org. And with that, here's my discussion with Gabe. Gabe, it's been a while since we've had you on Echo Zoe Radio, but uh, as always, a pleasure to have you back. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, it's good to be on. I, I think you have been on since you moved to Texas. Yeah, we did the one where it was um, uh, like how to read your Bible, basically. We went through exposition, yeah, um, expository Exposit- reading yeah, in addition expository to expository study. preaching. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you were in your pastor pastor office. Now you're in your home office. That's right. I built one at home, and it's kind of ghetto looking right now, because uh, this wall is brand new. That's that's the original wall in the garage. <laughs> I added this one with the door in it, and then I'm still kind of adding carpet. The wall that I'm looking at has carpet on the wall. Then I haven't gotten the sound panels on back here and stuff like that yet. So oh, okay, yeah, this was uh, so I could do this at home and not have to be you know, how far to the church, 15 minutes from 15 the church. Minutes, huh? yeah. There you go. You save yourself a half hour a day for, for exactly video. round trip is 30 minutes. So if I come home and I have to go back and record, then I'm, I'm losing half an hour. Very cool. Very cool. Well, we are going to talk about a topic that I've kind of just avoided even really looking at or paying much attention to, but cause it doesn't tend to touch my church. But the more I see of it, the more I realize I do need to pay attention, and it does affect my church, if not directly, but indirectly. 
And so we're going to talk about kind of what's going on with the Southern Baptist Convention, and it does affect your church, right? Yes, correct. Uh, we are still Southern Baptist. I don't know how much I can say about that. Actually, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> we've we've scaled back our giving a lot. Okay. So by default, we're still Southern Baptist, but you know, organizations like the ERLC, the North American Missions Board, we don't fund. And uh, and largely because the ERLC is putting their hands in things we just don't agree with, and the and NAM the North American Missions Board is platforming women pastors and uh, and all of our attempts to communicate with them and and you know say this is wrong can you respond to this we found these churches that have women pastors in it are you are you going to do anything about this and over and over they would keep railroading us sometimes even blaming us and saying you're just nitpicking you're looking for stuff that isn't there you're you're saying that these churches have women pastors when it's really women who are ministering and they've been attributed the title of pastor but they're not actually functioning in the role you know different kinds of things like this and over and over again when we would go back and forth with nam over that we would come to find no it really was what we said it was and uh, and they will just you know they'll end up changing things on their website or they'll get a hold of that church to turn some things around so that it doesn't actually look as conspicuous as it looks. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, just over and over again, we were continually continually getting the runaround. So finally, we just decided we can't support NAM anymore anyway. So uh, so all our church is giving to at the moment is the International Missions Board. And even then, it's less than we've traditionally given in the past. Okay. All that to say, we are still Southern Baptists. We'll still be at the Southern Baptist Convention in June to vote and try to stop the move toward accepting women pastors, which we believe is going to happen in New Orleans. And uh, uh, but yeah, but otherwise, much less involvement than we've had in the past. Okay. There's so much in what you've said so far to unpack. I mean, really a lot. Yes. Some of which <laughs> there is, probably is. Some of which, I guess. All of that was just to say, you know, we're, we are Southern Baptist, but. Yeah, no, but it, it's good. I mean, that much, you know, because um, it gives me some direction on some questions to ask. And and I think maybe the first thing is because I'm not Southern Baptist and, and a pretty good chance a sizable portion of my audience isn't, I'm sure there are a bunch that are. Can you talk a little bit about what, what, what makes a church Southern Baptist? What drives the Southern Baptist convention? Like what makes you Southern Baptist? What makes the organization Southern Baptist? What identifies you? Yes. So Southern the Southern Baptist Cooperation, you could probably call it that, is not technically a denomination. It's more like a fellowship of churches. So uh, each church is autonomous. It's not top down. Mm -hmm. There's no hierarchy or structure there where, you know, the president is at the top and then there's a panel of people that are all telling the churches what to do. It's not structured like that at all. In fact, the convention really exists to serve the local church. So if there is going to be any kind of hierarchy in the Southern Baptist Convention, the local church is really at the top. And the convention is supposed to be doing what the local churches are telling them to do. Now, that's supposed to be the function, but it isn't exactly the way that it goes. There's sure. jokes about how the platform in the Southern Baptist Convention, what we call the platform, it's the people that are up there on the platforms, the different committees, the uh, the trustees and things like that really have control and sway over the direction that the Southern Baptist Convention goes. It's using the bully pulpit, you know, sure. so to speak. You've got the pulpit and the platform. You can kind of persuade people in how they should how they should move. But uh, but the Southern Baptist um, 
convention has well the denomination for lack of a better term i'll call it denomination though it's not technically okay let's just go with that yeah yeah. so so not to confuse people Mm -hmm. but the denomination itself has what's called the cooperative program and that is the big pot of money that people just put their contributions into and you've probably heard things like the florida southern baptist convention gives 51 percent so they actually give more than half of what is brought into the state convention goes to the cooperative program. And, and, uh, and they actually turn out to be the largest, uh, uh, yeah, largest contributors in the country. Okay. No state gives more than Florida to the Southern Baptist convention. And I can't remember what the number is exactly, but I want to say if you were to take all 49 states and put them together, they're still not giving more than Florida does. Well, that would so make that's sense a, if Florida does 51%. Well, j- just from 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 Florida, uh, you know, like what they bring into the state, they're giving 51% to the national, okay. to, the, to the program. So that's not to say that Florida is 51% with all other states combined. Okay. That's they're just not, what they're okay. giving. Yeah, what what they bring into the state and then what they give they, to the national. They pass on 51% of what they Right, receive. exactly. They pass on 51%. So the uh anyway, uh the cooperative program then gets distributed out to seminaries and to um the International Missions Board, to the North American Missions Board. Well, what's to, the difference uh, there? The uh, so international, international versus North American. Right. So IMB is the missionaries that are distributed all around the world. Okay. Uh, the North American Missions Board is the church planting that goes on okay. in North America. And so that would include, you know, Mexico, the Latin American countries, United States, and in Canada. Okay. All of that church planting is NAM. So that's more, NAM more like you say, church planting versus missionaries. Yeah, well, well, really, with the missionaries, you want that to be church planning, too. Okay. So it's the missionaries that are going overseas into uh, other countries and planting churches there. Okay. So that's that's what IMB funds. So uh, the international. we're just talking North America versus the rest of the world. Yes, but all, all of that is distributed out from the cooperative program. Okay. So a church in a, a church that's Southern Baptist, that's in the Southern Baptist Convention, they could decide that they want to give to, um, you know, just a, a, an individual entity. They can even decide we want to support the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, but not the other seminaries. Or they could decide we only want to support the International Missions Board, but we don't want to fund NAM and the ERLC and things like that. Okay. So a church can decide to do that, or a church can just give to the cooperative program. And usually how it works for most churches that are in the Southern Baptist Convention is they'll give to their state cooperation, and then the state is giving to the cooperative program. And then that counts toward your giving to the Southern Baptist Convention. The number of messengers that a church will send to the Southern Baptist Convention, the annual meeting that happens in June, how many uh, messengers they can send is dependent upon how much money that they have been giving over the course of the year. And I think the max number of messengers that a church can send is 12. Okay. So we have, we've typically sent 12. The minimum is two. So every church that's in the Southern Baptist convention can send at least two, okay. uh, but no more than 12. So you call them, so, you call them messengers. that would be just delegates. Yeah. Like delegates. Sure. Right. Okay. So they have, they've been given voting power representing their church. Mm-hmm. 
being able to make decisions on the the things that end up coming to the floor at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, you know, okay. things like that. Sure. So it's really, if you give to the cooperative program in any way at all, you're really technically Southern Baptist. Okay. If you've ever been to the annual meeting, there's even a, a, a section there in the main hall where you can tell the Salvation Army is sitting because they all wear those suits, okay. you know, for the Salvation Army. They're not Southern Baptist, but they give to the cooperative program. So they've got messengers they're able to send uh, who will have a voting say okay, wow. in the annual meeting. Okay. Interesting. So um, so it's really just a cooperative. Um it seems to me kind of between what you've said and what I a little I've read about it, that the big hang up as far as like um, there, there's some big differences. You've mentioned women pastors, okay, but the big hang up as far as like just taking your ball and leaving, which some churches have considered doing is, uh, is not, is, is the biggest thing would be like the seminaries and such that if you leave, then you don't have influence over the seminaries. Right. So, yeah, with all of the assets uh, that are possessed by the Southern Baptist Convention, if we end up leaving, right, we give up control of the seminaries. Usually when a denomination goes liberal, all of the seminaries do as well. Yeah. If the conservatives have to pull out, the liberals retain all of the all of the assets. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a lot of what you end up hearing from one year to the next with regards to the Southern Baptist Convention is too far gone. We can't get the ship turned back around. So maybe we should just pull out and then you'll have the conservatives urging other conservatives don't do it because then we give up all the assets and the liberals get it all, you know, things like that. So that's what we're we're hoping to be able to maintain with the votes that we give at the annual meeting. We're we're hoping that, you know, we can make a difference and turn some things back in a more conservative direction. Yeah. Little by little, we've been seeing things moving. Uh, the needle's been moving more liberal. Yeah, well, and that's a that's a big thing because, uh, like I said, I I haven't really been following this that closely. How long has this been an issue? Talking about the the women pastor thing, has it been three, four? Well, five if you years, think about, or? well, yeah, I don't know how long this goes back. Really, I mean, it really uh, amped up at the last annual meeting, and in all practical sense, the Southern Baptist Convention really came to accept women pastors at the last annual meeting. It's not definitively stated, mm -hmm. but it really kind of came down to that because of, you know, the the motions that were made with regards to churches that come into the Southern Baptist Convention that are considered to be in friendly cooperation. It was decided that a church can have a woman as a pastor and still be in friendly cooperation with the SBC. Well, if that's the case, then <laughs> the SBC is accepting woman pastors. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says, if we can just skip over that and accept whatever church we want to into the fellowship that is ordaining women to be pastors, then then that's what's become accepted yeah. in the fellowship. Well, it sounds like there's also a danger that if all you have to do to get a vote is to contribute financially, you don't even have to necessarily be Southern Baptist, such as the Salvation Army. Then what prevents other liberal churches from saying, well, we're just going to contribute a little bit to the Southern Baptist so that we can go vote in their convention. Right, precisely. There has to be some kind of an oversight. There has to be a standard. Mm -hmm. And our standard, the statement of faith, is the Baptist Faith and Message 2000. And it's expressly stated in the BFM that uh, that the office of pastor is limited to men. Yep. 
And so if we're going to start saying that women can be ordained, then why do we even have a statement of faith that's supposed to be limiting the things that we believe and accept as a fellowship? Yeah, I I can see where I participated someone in our state political party, the Republican Party, and it, it sounds similar. You, I'm sure you use Robert's Rules of Order at the convention, and yep, so sure do. All that you know, it's the it's same convention type mindset where you've got delegates, voting members, and stuff. And once you get that, you start getting it, it gets political one way or another. Oh yeah, very. And now, as uh, Becky and I shared this on our podcast, because you know my listenership is not uh, exclusively Southern Baptist. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we will get to talking about these things, I'll I'll add in we and we talk about other uh denominations too, like what's going on in the United Methodist Church, yep. which is about to start accepting uh the ordination of LGBTQ clergy if things are uh, you know continue on the trajectory I I that already, they're I, mean, I thought they already were. <laughs> but maybe I'm yeah, just confusing yeah, I mean, them with other liberal denominations. They they kind of are in the midst of a split at the present. It's kind mm-hmm. of a slow ongoing split of what's going on in the UMC. But then even what's happening in the Anglican churches, last year we had the big split in the uh, RCA, the Reformed Church of America, where there was a splinter group that broke off and said, we're not for the uh, acceptance or the ordination. We're not not for the, uh, uh, hang on, I just take that back. They do ordain women pastors, but they're not for the ordination of LGBTQ LGBTQ clergy was what it was. So then he had a splinter group that broke off of the RCA because of that. So Becky and I have talked about some of those things on our podcast too. But when we talk about Southern Baptist things, I kind of add the caveat that, you know, why is this relevant? Why would you want to even know about this if you're not Southern Baptist? Well, because it is the largest denomination in the country. And the direction you're seeing the Southern Baptist Convention go is uh, is going to have a huge effect on evangelicalism across America at large, especially when you consider that there are people that are part of the Southern Baptist Convention that aren't even technically Southern Baptists. They don't have it on their church sign. It's probably not in their statement of faith, but because they give to the cooperative program, then they have a a voting presence at the uh, at the annual meeting. So this really is kind of a conglomerate, a huge fellowship of many conservative evangelical churches, or at least churches that would call themselves conservative. And uh, and with the acceptance of women pastors, we're certainly seeing things go more liberal. Yeah, sorry, I'm just a little distracted because we're over Zoom and neither of us are paying members. So I've started getting, I got a big pop-up right over your face. So for those watching <laughs> I got it video, too, it says cut, eight and a half minutes. For those who are watching video and then it cut to me, even though you're the one talking, it's because I didn't want to make you see that pop up. But um, so, um, yeah, I don't know. There's still just so much to unpack. Um, I, I <laughs> It's tough because I don't, sometimes I get to where I don't have a question to ask because I don't have a question <laughs> to ask. And sometimes it's because I have too, too many questions to ask. And sometimes it's because of both one or the other and I'm distracted by Zoom. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Well, but, we can start. We can start with like what Article Six says mm-hmm. on the church. Um, and at some point, you know, here within the next eight minutes or something, we can take a break. Yeah, so we can kind of reset the Zoom counter here, uh, and then uh, we can discuss kind of what happened at the annual meeting last year with what uh, Rick Warren did coming to the floor. The whole the whole hoopla that was surrounding Rick Warren was it and last when year? He came I thought to- I had heard that last, or was it? It was a year that they didn't have a convention, was there not? Was that last? Yeah, that was in 2020 that okay, there was no so convention. There, okay, so there was one last year and year before. 
and then J.D. Greer got an extra year as president. And so it was in 21 that there was the big vote between Mike Stone, who incidentally just announced that he's running again. So he's going to be running against Bart Barber in the annual meeting coming up in June. Okay. He was running against Ed Litton. Okay. And it was a very, very narrow loss for Mike Stone. It was just like a little over 100 votes or something like that. Ed Litton ended up winning. And then, of course, what was it, two weeks after the convention was when the whole story broke about uh, Litton being a plagiarist and showing just the plethora of sermons that he was doing, ripping off J.D. Greer. But then it was discovered he was also ripping off, you know, people like uh, Tim Keller and some other people. Okay. So you just, I mean, just a serial plagiarist. I'm getting a very, little, very I'm getting a little lost in the name, so... Uh, liberal versus conservative. Where are we? These guys are all liberal. <laughs> all liberal. Okay. So Greer is a liberal. Litton. Well, you got, when you consider with Ed Litton, you know, and these guys won't call themselves liberal. Sure. Even when, when Ed Litton won the presidency at the Southern Baptist convention, he was immediately on like MSNBC and doing interviews on CNN and things like that. And the interviewer would ask Litton and say, now, your win was really a victory for the liberal side of the convention. And he'd interrupt him and go, no, look, at, listen here. The Southern Baptist Convention is conservative. This was not a win for the liberals. This is this this is a conservative denomination. Okay. So he was sure to, you know, make sure it's understood. We're moving in a conservative direction here, not a liberal one. However, Ed Litton's wife preached sermons with him at his church in Alabama and and it, it it's not some ambiguous thing. Now she doesn't have the title of pastor there at their church, but it wasn't some ambiguous thing. She, you know, we had a clip where we were playing her on stage with Lit uh, with Ed saying, uh, "Well, we're at the end of our sermon series." You know, she's even calling what she's doing preaching sermons. So it, you kind of have this sleight of hand that's going on with the liberal leaning side of the convention mm -hmm. that's trying to usher in the acceptance of women preaching but not calling it that. We're not going to say they're preaching. We're not going to call it sermons. We're not going to give them the title of pastor, yeah, but they're functioning it. That's a typical in that left, like a liberal tactic, whether you're talking about political liberal or, or any other kind of liberal, it's just a change of vocabulary. Yeah, you precisely. Know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that what we're talking about? Well, when you look at the prohibition against women pastors that's given to us in Scripture, it was very wise of Paul not to say something like, women can't be elders or overseers or pastors, which, by the way, all those terms are synonymous, yeah. bishop, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, somebody might argue, and I hear this all the time, well, pastor is not even an office that's given in Scripture. Well, sure, that word means shepherd, but we use it synonymously with elder and overseer as yeah. we have it given in Scripture. There's no difference between those offices. But Paul was very wise in that he didn't say a woman can't be an elder. He specifically defined the function yeah. and said she cannot even function in that capacity. So we have it in 1 Timothy 2.11, a woman must learn in quietness in all submission but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. Now, first of all, noting that in verse 11, this is inviting women to be part of the church. You are as instrumental in the function of the church as men are. So women being included in there, a woman must learn in quietness. Mm -hmm. that, that was a big deal to be including women with the men in the corporate gathering of the yeah. church. So a woman uh, can be part of the disciples, the learners, those who are there to learn the preaching and the teaching, but they must be in quietness and all submission. 
I don't allow a woman to teach. So there he's getting to the function. She can't teach or exercise authority since the title of pastor that he's going to give in chapter three, verse one is the title of overseer. Mm -hmm. She cannot exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. And then he gives the reason going back to the law for it was Adam who was formed first and then Eve. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into trespass. So it was God's intention that men would be the ones that would hold these authoritative positions and have the responsibility of teaching not the woman. Yep. So the prohibition is is not just she can't be an elder or an overseer or a pastor. It's that she can't even function in the role. And that's what we're seeing happen in the Southern Baptist sure. Convention is giving women that function, but withholding the title. Well, let's, uh, as I'm watching that ticker time, tick, uh, wind down, let's take a little break. <laughs> we're going to reset Alrighty. our Zoom. And I'll drop in a promo for probably for a Christian podcast community, but we'll, we'll see what it ends up being. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about the scripture, and then uh, we'll we'll carry on as far as how that uh, is going on within the Southern Baptist Convention. Our community is a cohesive group of like-minded Christian producers who podcast on areas of expertise and passion. Christian podcast community is a cohesive group of like-minded podcasters proclaiming the truth of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, and much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.com. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. Or one stop for the podcasts that are about to be your favorite Christian podcasts. ChristianPodcastCommunity.com Yeah, so before the break, we were talking about the scripture and what Paul had to say uh, about women acting in a role as a teacher or an overseer. Yes. So let's pick up along on that route, on that discussion. Right. So what is the what is the function of a pastor anyway? What is it that a pastor does? Mm-hmm. So where we have that passage in 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says, I don't permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, where he goes right from there is, uh, is into the qualifications of a pastor. This is what a, a pastor is supposed to look like. What a man who is qualified to fill that role, here's what he's supposed to be. And chapter 3, verse 1 says, It is a trustworthy saying, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, that he desires a good work. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, sensible, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but considerate, peaceable, free from the love of money, leading his own household well, having his children in submission with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to lead his own household, how will he take care of God's church? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and into a snare of the devil. Mm -hmm. Now, other places in Scripture where we find qualifications for pastors include Titus 1, 5 through 9. Uh, There's a section of 2 Timothy chapter 2 that talks about it as well. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, the two that tend to get the most attention, though, 
are First Timothy 3, 1 through 7, and then Titus 1, 5 through 9. Those are kind of the two passages that we go to to see, to see the qualifications for eldership, which once again, as we said before, is synonymous with pastor and overseer or bishop. Those, those words are all the same. The common word that we use in our American nomenclature today is pastor, but mm-hmm. there's no difference between that role, pastor and elder. You know, even within the Southern Baptist Convention, there are some that have talked about, well, what if we take the the statement of faith and we amend it to say, instead of saying pastor, we amend it to say elder. But the problem there, you're still going to run into the same issues with, with them platforming women to that spot, but then not calling them elder. Sure. Or even then, they'll start calling them pastor and then saying, but see, we're not calling them elder, so therefore yeah. it's okay. And, uh, and yeah, one way or the other, you still kind of run into that semantic thing, which is why it's so wonderful that Paul, in his wisdom, of course, being led by the Holy Spirit, said it the way that he said it in 1 Timothy 2, describing the function and not just merely saying, I don't permit women to be overseers or or elders or pastors. Mm-hmm. So um, what's the big deal? Like, you've... Uh... We were kind of chatting between the break there, and and uh, you wanted to get into the big deal. Why is this a big deal? Yeah. So why is this? Why is it the sort of a thing where if a church is ordaining women to be pastors, why would we say that we're not in friendly cooperation? Isn't that taking an issue? Yeah. Is this a primary would... issue or a secondary issue or tertiary? Right. Yeah. Issue? Is it, is, you're taking something that's secondary and making it fundamental, which and that's what you're going to hear the critics say. Well, we're being mm-hmm. fundamentalists, you know, using that like it's a like it's a bad word. Yeah. Uh, that's what Rick Warren has been saying, and you hear him say nonsense. That's like, um, you know, the the fundamentalists don't have any secondary issues, you know, stuff like that. (laughs) Well, the ordination of women pastors is a secondary matter when you're talking about uh, soteriology. If we're talking about the study of salvation, we're talking about those doctrines that specifically pertain to being saved, like knowing that Jesus is God, knowing he died on the cross and what that meant the atoning sacrifice that he was for us, rising again from the dead, even the fact that he is God incarnate, his incarnation is is tied up in to a study of salvation, mm-hmm. his ascending into heaven, the promise of him coming back again to judge the living and the dead, who's saved and who goes to hell, all of those things that pertain to what we call soteriology, a study of salvation, the issue of whether a woman can be ordained as pastor that's certainly secondary. That's not going to be a primary issue. In fact, you might even call that tertiary if you're, uh, it's like a third tier issue if you're just talking about doctrines that pertain to salvation. But if you're talking about a matter of obedience, this is a fundamental issue. This is primary because it's explicitly said in scripture that a woman is not to hold these positions, is not even to function in that position, or you're upending and usurping what God has said about the sexes and the roles that he means for each one of them. When we uh, when we talk about this debate, we typically use the terms complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Mm-hmm. Complementarianism is the idea that men and women are uh, are different, and we are made for different roles, but in those different roles, we complement one another in our strengths and weaknesses. That's where that term complementarian comes from. Equal, but complementary. Not Yeah, sure. E- yeah, we're equal, and, and equal we're, in value, but different in role. Yes, that's a good way to put it. 
So even equal in our uh, recipient, uh, you know, our receiving the kingdom. Yep. Hence the verse in Galatians chapter three, there is no male and female for you are all one in Christ. That's mm-hmm. not an egalitarian verse. It just means that we're all receiving the kingdom of God together. First Peter three, seven, the instruction that's given to husbands to love your wives as the weaker vessel, knowing that she is a fellow heir with you in Christ. So you see there in the verse, the difference between men and women, mm-hmm. but also saying that we all receive the same thing. We're all going to be recipients of the heavenly kingdom, no one is greater or less than coming into the kingdom of God. Men and women will be equal walking through those gates. So uh, so when it comes to um, a, a matter of obedience, however, when it comes to the way that God has structured the church and the roles that he's given to men and the roles that he's given to women, this is a fundamental matter because we're going to disobey God by saying that a woman can function in that particular spot. And you'll find all different kinds of twisting of the scriptures to try to justify why a woman can be a pastor saying things like, well, that was just Paul's opinion. You know, if you go to First Corinthians, you'll say things like, this comes from me and not the Lord. And they'll try to carry that over into First Timothy 2 uh, or in Titus 1 and, and say that Paul was just, you know, sharing his own views here. This wasn't actually from the Spirit of God. But again, uh, Paul goes back to the law to ground this. He goes back to Genesis. The order of creation is the very reason why men are meant to function in these roles, but women are not. Uh, now, like I said, the the terms that get used there are complementarianism versus egalitarianism. Those waters tend to be a little muddy sometimes because you even have, you know, like uh, like guys like Ed Litton, where we talked about before, Rick Warren, J.D. Greer, Uh, Some of these people who would platform women to these teaching positions call themselves complementarian, but that's not complementarian. They're really acting egalitarian, Mm -hmm. especially when you consider Rick Warren is actually ordaining women pastors at his church. Uh, So I prefer the term patriarchy. (laughs) We're talking (laughs) biblical patriarchy rather than complementarianism since, since those waters have become so terribly muddy. They well, don't it's interesting like interesting that you pick that term because that's a that, that one's been kind of loaded lately. Yeah, that one's been loaded too. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, really, this this ism versus that ism, mm-hmm. it just comes back to what the scripture says. We still have to define our terms and and look at what God has said according to His Word. Mm-hmm. So, where does the SBC go? Where do you see it? Um, you sounded earlier like you're hopeful that in the next convention that the conservatives will. Uh, make progress towards kind of winning on the issue. Yeah, there's no telling. Uh, We're right now, as we're heading up toward New Orleans, that's where the next annual meeting is going to be. Every year it's Mm -hmm. in a different spot. Last year it was in Anaheim. The year before that it was in Nashville. So this next one coming up, that's going to be in New Orleans, um, is there's there's not going to be a major play for president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, like I said earlier, Mike Stone is a, he's thrown his hat in the ring and he wants to challenge Bart Barber and run for president. But okay, typically, now which one of those is uh, more conservative and more? Uh, yeah, it depends on who you ask. Okay. <laughs> now, Mike Stone is definitely the conservative side. Uh, uh, you know, my camp, for example, we would want to back Mike Stone and vote for him. He, okay. uh, his church is in Georgia. Okay. Bart Barber is the current sitting president. He's been on for a year. His church is here in Texas. But uh, but really, he's got one more year. So a, a typical Southern Baptist president will serve for two years. 
And uh, and he still runs for president after that first year, but he generally runs unopposed. It's kind of like, okay. you know, the guy's done one year, he's done pretty well. So let's go ahead and let him vote again. It's almost kind of a courtesy vote sort of a thing. Sure. Now with Ed Litton, it was almost guaranteed he was not going to win it because of all the plagiarism scandal that was going on. Okay. So he volunteered that he was going to back down. Of course, that didn't happen until like the the players in the in the SBC platform had already picked who their guy was, who the successor was going to be after Ed Litton. And so as soon as Ed announced That's that he was politics. not going to run what, yeah, that's politics, right? It's it's all a political play. As soon as it was announced that he was not going to run, they put forward their own guy. Well, that guy didn't even stick around in that spot for more than a few weeks, uh, and uh, and now it and then it was Bart Barber, and it was um, uh, Tom Askell and Bart Barber were running head to head in the uh, annual meeting that was held last year in Anaheim. Now, there's a name I recognize, Tom Askell. Yeah, Tom Askell. There you go. So Tom from Florida. And uh, and Bart from right here in Texas. Now, people generally see Bart as being the conservative. And I think on paper and by confession, you would hear him say some pretty conservative things. But as far as like like where he goes in his leadership and 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 where he pushes voting and things like that, all of that is siding with the elites in the SBC or what again, what we refer to as the platform. Is this women pastors thing? Is this like the only real issue or is this getting muddied by other issues, too? There's some other things that are going on, uh, you know, with the the sex abuse task force stuff that's been going on. You know, if you'll remember back to when was this 2019 with the uh, SBC sex abuse scandal that had broken open. Is that at the beginning of 19 or 20? I can't remember now. Yeah. But with with that uh, sex abuse scandal that had taken place, you know, things that have been moving the way that they have in the Southern Baptist Convention ever since with uh, the checks and balances, creating the sex abuse task force. Uh, the the Guidestone um, uh, firm that has been kind of overseeing all of that investigation, paying Guidestone has turned out to be very, very expensive. And if things continue on the trajectory that they're on, then the executive committee will be bankrupt by the time we get to the June meeting because wow. uh, of the money that they've had to pay Guideposts to you know handle that whole investigative side of things going on with the sex abuse task force. So that's a big deal. That's going on. Uh, Mike Stone has has made that part of his platform in running against Bart Barber because the whole thing is just a fiasco. It's just been a huge, big mess. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a whole other issue to talk about. I've written some blogs on it. Maybe you can throw in the show notes and yeah, things like that. Yeah, definitely. We'll do that. Uh, Echozoi.com slash 180180 is our episode. So uh, I will definitely add that. I'm probably going to be very light on show notes this month. Uh, I was just telling you, this is my April episode and it's April 29th. So we're banging it out at the last minute. I want to get it up. I want to get an April episode in. Um, so I'm going to be very light on uh, show notes, but um, I will populate the additional resources because I think there's going to be uh, a higher than average amount of material to put there. But uh, certainly yeah, so I would definitely welcome your links when we're done recording and I'll get those in the show notes too. Now, one of the uh, articles that I have up in front of me that I've kind of been referencing as we've been going through these things is um, uh, an article that I did on my own blog that was called Women Pastors Are a Fundamental Problem for Southern Baptists. Mm-hmm. So I go through these these scriptural things, understanding the qualifications for a pastor, why a woman can't be a pastor, and why is this a fundamental issue in the Southern Baptist Convention? I kind of lay that out in some greater detail there as well. So if you want to read further into that, um, all of that's in that, that article. 
one of the things that I point out there is uh, how normal, how common it is for a denomination to accept the ordination of women as pastors and how long it takes before they end up going into even deeper and deeper liberalism. Mm-hmm. So lest the Southern Baptist Convention arrogantly wants to be able to say, well, we can accept women as pastors and still call ourselves conservative. Now, that's a pretty telltale sign that you're not being obedient to the scripture anymore, that you are uh, you're interpreting it your own way, that the the gender roles, the roles of the sexes don't matter to you. We can, you know, treat men and women as equal. Women are just as capable of filling these roles in that as men are. We don't need to be dividing over these kinds of things. And so when we don't have definitive statements of faith that we're no longer following, I mean, you're you're letting liberalism right in the door. And so it's not going to take very long before the Southern Baptist Convention is going to fall into deeper and deeper liberalism, even accepting uh, LGBTQism and ordaining gay and lesbian pastors. That can happen in the Southern Baptist Convention, and it would be very, very arrogant of uh, churches within Southern Baptist cooperation to say that that would never happen to us. No, we've got our principles. We've got our statement of faith. We're going to stay affixed to these things. Well, so did all these other denominations that ended up uh, accepting and ordaining um, gay and lesbian clergy. It starts with the ordination of women pastors, and it eventually gets to this point. With, uh, with sexual immorality. Circling back to what we discussed early on, the big issue would be then the seminaries and, and other assets of the convention, that it would be easy for the conservatives to just say, well, let's just go start a new convention that, um, you know, we can retain control of the missions boards that we'll have to create when we do that. You know, we can uh, make, make, stricter bylaws and we can make sure that this doesn't happen again. But when you do that, then you forfeit, uh, how many seminaries do they have within the SBC? There's six main seminaries. Um, but there's, there's a bunch of other smaller ones that sure. are Southern Baptist, either, uh, I don't know if you would call them adjacent mm-hmm. <laughs> or, you know, somehow they're involved in the convention, but they don't give, how many they don't are give- funded by the convention though? Uh, yeah, exactly right. It's it's not that they're funded by the convention so much. Um, or, you know, they may get stipends or scholarship, you know, sure. s- sorts of things, but they're not going to be giving their annual reports. Whenever you attend the annual meeting, uh, there is the segment that is designated for the presidents of the seminaries, and all six presidents will come to the platform yeah. and give their reports uh, with regards to how things have been going with those seminaries. Some of them are doing really, really poorly. And uh, and I, I think it's it's um, theorized here that this upcoming annual meeting, Danny Aiken is going to resign as uh, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. That I th- that's a ge- that's a guess. I don't know that for sure, but it's possible that he's going to resign because SEBTS is going in the direction that it's going. Like like the uh, enrollment has dropped way off, and mm-hmm. SEBTS has also kind of been the seminary in, among the six that has been the most woke with uh, okay. with accepting wokeness philosophy and stuff like that. And so uh, wanting to go out on a high note, Danny Aiken may want to get out sooner rather than later before things take an even worse turn well, for that's him. That's just muddy even here. what I'm saying even more. If we've got seminaries already going that direction, that's, that's tough to give that up. I mean, right. if, if you lose the seminaries, where do we go next? I mean, you it's not an easy thing to just start a new seminary. Now, the uh, the president of the SBC, the reason why that position is so important is because he will appoint the trustees. 
and to the different panels that then appoint other trustees and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so who's going to end up being the trustees at Southeastern Baptist that's going to hire Danny Aiken's replacement? Just just kind of giving an example, even though Danny's still the the president there. You're going to hope that whoever his successor is going to be will be more conservative than Danny was. Yeah. But the only way that we can be sure that, you know, the 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 line of succession goes in the direction that will uh, end up having a conservative result is if the president of the convention is also conservative and and mm-hmm. shares that like mindedness with the conservative side of the fellowship. So I would I would guess then your speculation that he was going to resign might depend on who gets elected. Who gets elected? Oh, yeah, the president of the the president. I mean, much the way we have Supreme Court justices that are not going to resign when the opposing party is in the White House. Yeah, right. I I mean, yeah, we're we're all playing political games here with all of that. So, (laughs) yeah, you might be right about that. Okay. Well, um, I I, want to make sure that we hit on why, like, like I'm not Southern Baptist, and I'm starting to see why this is important, but What's your take as a Southern Baptist on why it should matter to those of us who are not? Well, like I said, because the the direction that the Southern Baptist Convention is going, it's going to be reflective of uh, of evangelicalism in America at large. You're talking about the largest Protestant denomination. Again, not technically a denomination, but sure. it is the largest collection of Protestant churches in North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you see happening in Southern Baptist life is... Uh, is very reflective of what's happening in evangelicalism in America, even among the conservative churches. I think I think you know we know what's happening among the Episcopalians. We yeah. know what's happening uh, among the Unitarian Universalists. Those are all liberal. Everything they're going to do is always going to be liberal. But how about that? Uh, you know, not counting the mainline denominations. How about that average evangelical Christian sitting in their pew? What does that Christian look like? And when you look at the Southern Baptist Convention, you see kind of the average picture of what most conservative churches in America are. Uh, it, it, you know, it's kind of a barometer of what yeah. those churches are like. And so, with um, um, this is why this has the attention of so many people. It's why whenever the Southern Baptist Convention wraps up, whoever's elected president ends up getting the interviews on all of the major news networks. They appear on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. They get the articles in the New York Times and the Washington Post and so on and so forth. It's because they're the president of the largest denomination. This is a big deal. And, uh, of course, the the outside players, even the news media coverage, they're going to want to try to influence the direction the SBC goes with, with their vote. Sure. And, uh, and, you know, all the sex abuse stuff that's been going on in the SBC has been largely driven by outside voices, more so than even what's been going on within the Southern Baptist Convention, Mm -hmm. because it was those outside voices that became accusatory. Well, look at you guys. Look at all these problems that you have that, you know, kind of made things turn around within the SBC toward, okay, we've got some problems that we've got to fix. So that that was all from the outside in. So they're trying to move things there. And and what you see happening in the SBC, again, is going to be reflective of evangelicalism at large. Do you happen uh, to have any idea, like, as far as though, like, how many how many pastors go to a Southern Baptist seminary but aren't necessarily Southern Baptist and end up in churches that are not Southern Baptist? So I, would I don't know what the figure. That, I would guess that it's sizable. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the figure is on that because the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is one of the largest seminaries mm-hmm. in the country. Um, I think that, if I remember right, 
the only Christian college that's larger is uh, Liberty. Liberty. So, uh, so SBTS Liberty, Liberty doesn't Liberty doesn't have a seminary, do they? I don't think so. Yeah. So SBTS might be the largest seminary, mm-hmm. and then Liberty is the largest Christian college. That might be the way that that sure. that kind of pans out. But you know, with with Liberty, it's the same kind of a thing because they yeah. are the largest Christian college. You can see like what are the future Christian leaders of America looking like. You can kind of gauge that by the climate of the campus at uh, at Liberty University, what kind of students they're cranking out. Yeah. But I'm just thinking like as far as care an outsider really caring about what's going on and, and getting, you know, getting involved as much as you can. I'm not sure what I can do to get involved, to be honest. But, you know, I, I'm caring because I don't want to see more and more churches pop up where uh people are coming out of seminary at what could become a, a very liberal seminary. You know, yeah. Southern Baptist seminary isn't particularly woke or liberal now, but should the liberals win in this battle within the the convention, the, the seminary is sure to follow. Well, the biggest thing you can do for us is really pray, of course. Yeah, well, definitely. So, so praying for the Southern Baptist Convention and what's going to happen, um, you know, having these conversations about it openly, if you're on social media, being able mm-hmm. to discuss these things, just putting it out there might help influence a person who's going to end up being a messenger at New Orleans so that they're even aware of the issues. You know, and part of the thing with messengers, when they come in there, we we tend to think that the messengers that we're with all have the same knowledge that we do. And that's not really the case. Uh, I get involved with a lot of stuff online with social media, of course, with with when we understand the text and everything that I do on social media. Uh, uh, that's kind of a, a, a court of public opinion almost. Yeah. And so you're there in the public arena exchanging ideas, talking about things that are going on in the SBC and whatever else. When you look at the numbers and the figures, I can't remember. I, I saw this one time. I can't remember what it is exactly, but it's something like eight to 12% of people that are going to end up being there at the Southern Baptist annual meeting uh, even have a Twitter account or Facebook okay. or something like that. So I think more so with Facebook, but with Facebook, you're throwing up, you know, pictures of your kids and what I ate last night. You're not really <laughs> having the big deep discussions about what's going on at the Southern Baptist convention. And so uh, while we've been arguing about these things on social media, we come to the convention where most of the people that are there probably haven't been having that exchange on social media. Mm-hmm. So not everybody has the same information. And this is why the platform can be so influential. Mm-hmm. And plus, your average Southern Baptist, you know, really wants to have the the best in mind for the people that have been elected to those particular positions. Yeah. They want to think the best of those persons in those positions. So when a person is up there on the platform saying what they're saying and trying to move the convention in a particular place, they do it in a very winsome way. And the the delegates or the messengers, therefore, in the hall are largely going to be on the side of whoever's on the platform and whatever it is they're saying. Mm-hmm. Now, people on the platform can turn out to be extremely rude. Uh, we saw that with James Merritt a few years ago, where he made that outlandish claim that if we would get over talking about all of this critical race theory stuff, we could we could win the world to Christ tomorrow. I mean, which is mm-hmm. absolutely absurd. And he said it very, very angrily. And there were people in the hall that ended up applauding that. But that's a pretty good example of how whoever's standing on that platform has, has for the most part, control of the room. Mm-hmm. I don't, I cannot even remember the last time when I saw something presented from the platform that ends up getting voted down by the messengers in the room. 
Southern Baptists tend to be largely agreeable. And so, it, you know, this is going to be a matter of educating one another and and helping people understand the issues before coming to New Orleans. And things can change really, really fast, especially when you consider that just this past week, Mike Stone threw his hat in the ring to challenge Bart Barber, which is not typical, uh, especially somebody that that ended up losing by just a few hundred or, you know, it was just a little over 100 votes when he ran against Ed Litton a couple of years ago. And and so you know, Mike is a, a formidable name to be coming into the Southern Baptist Convention and want to run for president that way. But we're like six weeks out from the convention. So it's mm-hmm. amazing that uh, he's made this late change. But this is, you know, just kind of one another example of how the information can get out there and some stuff can pop up late. And you just have to do what you can do to make sure people know the issues as we come to the annual meeting to vote. Sure. And then I don't know if I dare go back, but um, did you get to flush out everything with that you want to talk about with uh, like Rick Warren and the, what was going on? <laughs> no, probably not. But Rick Warren talks enough about himself. I don't know that we uh, <laughs> we really need to give him that much well, airtime. I mean, in prep, I, I was uh, before I read your article that you'd sent over, I was reading one by Megan Basham that was talking a little bit about. Uh, yeah, I think it's called oh, I'm wrong, wrong mouse here. Uh, Mr. Smith goes to the convention is her, uh, her article, which will also yeah, be talking the, about, talking about Mike law and the, uh, the, um, yeah. Oh, I can't remember what it was, the motion or whatever it was that he was, he was trying to put forward with regard to defining who can be a pastor, you know, having an yeah. explicit statement somewhere in the, in the constitution or, or a measure that gets passed or something like that, that would prohibit women pastors so that the. The was that really is, the genesis of this, the Mike Law? Well, no, I mean it goes it, it goes back several years. I, I mean, there are different starting points. They all kind of converge at the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what's happening with this upcoming annual meeting? If you'll remember back to, uh, it, you know, maybe if you knew about this or you were keeping up with the stuff that was going on in Anaheim last year. There was an investigation. It was put forward a motion to investigate Saddleback Church as to whether or not they were in friendly cooperation with the SBC because Rick Warren was ordaining women pastors. Now, this happened before the annual meeting in 2021. So this wasn't last year. It was the year before. And the uh, the uh, credentials committee was responsible for interviewing Rick Warren. And they came back with their report, and they said Warren was very cordial with us. We did not find anything wrong. We didn't. We didn't see that this, uh, that Saddleback was in unfriendly cooperation with the convention. But then the motion was put forward again. No, they're ordaining women pastors. They're going against what we have in the BFM 2000. So where are we going to draw the line in the sand? What's where does a person get decided that they're in unfriendly cooperation with the SBC? And so then uh, Rick Warren had his opportunity to come to the microphone and bloviate about himself the way that he did. And if you do the math on the numbers that he gave, there's no no way any of that could have been true. (laughs) Uh, You know, talking about uh, the five decades that he was with Billy Graham and uh, and how many uh, over a million pastors that he's helped train up, which was like, you know, when you did the math on that, it was something like over 70 pastors a day oh, that wow. he would have to have been training to get to that particular spot. It just, the math just didn't add up. He just, you know, like, like a good Baptist just threw his numbers out there and they were hugely <laughs> inflated numbers. You know, it's the whole thing of like, well, how, how many uh, people did you have at your revival? Oh, we had a thousand and no, it was 80 people that showed up. <laughs> you know, like that. That's, that's a good Baptist way to do math. Anyway, um, 
So, so then what ended up happening just a few months ago is that the executive committee came out and decided that Saddleback was not in friendly cooperation with the SBC and basically kicked them out of the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, that gives Rick Warren an opportunity to come to the convention in New Orleans and appeal. And so now the decision is going to be made. It's going to be handed to the messengers. Are we going to say that Rick that that Saddleback Church, which Rick Warren is not even the pastor of anymore, it's uh, it's Andy and Stacy Wood, a husband and wife duo, who are the pastors of <laughs> Saddleback. So yeah, a woman that. pastor, right, yeah. right up there with the senior pastor spot. So uh, so, but but Rick Warren's going to be the guy that's going to come to New Orleans and is going to make an appeal on behalf of Saddleback, and it's going to be put to the messengers to have to vote. And, you know, people tend to like Rick Warren, mm-hmm. even though he bloviates and even though he's disqualified as a pastor for reasons much, much deeper than just the ordination of women pastors, should have been disqualified a long time ago. Uh, but he's putting it to the messengers to a vote. And this could be the strategy. This could have been the strategy all along. It could be that the executive committee has has done this with Rick so that uh, it, that it has to go to the floor and we're going to leave it to the messengers. And the messengers are either going to accept the ordination of women pastors or disapprove of it based on their vote as to yeah. whether or not Saddleback should be in the Southern Baptist Convention. A and so, a political power move. Again, it's another political play. So that's yeah. probably what's going on with all of this. And could it be, it could be the reason why the executive committee made the decision that they did. Mm-hmm. But this will be the top issue. I think it's going to be the thing that's going to be covering the newspapers and stuff like that. Well, news. who's reading a newspaper? Sure. Uh, they- <laughs> be on all the blogs. All the blogs and websites and and will be covered in the news following the convention and things like that. I, yeah. I think this will be the chief issue. Okay. Well, I uh, got another message about our time constraints, and I don't want to reset yet again because uh, we are coming up close enough to an hour. It's probably better to just let it go. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and uh, the whole issue there was I usually use Brave Talk, which is uh, service through the Brave browser, but for some reason it wasn't. It was giving me some quirky errors. Yeah. I could see myself on the screen, but as soon as I started a call, it would say I can't access the camera. So it was really quirky. <laughs> like, well, yeah, access yeah. the camera before I hit go. And so we moved to Zoom, and neither of us are, are paid Zoom uh, users. So we're facing time limits. So I'm going to look at a, a th- another backup option for next month's episode. But we do have uh, about five or six minutes before it's going to uh, kick us off again. So any parting thoughts on the issue? Well, one, yeah, one other thing to mention with regarding this, um, you know, the three, when Saddleback was still Southern Baptist, the three largest Southern Baptist churches all had women pastors. Saddleback, Fellowship Church with Ed and Lisa Young in the Dallas area, and, uh, and Elevation Church in Charlotte with Stephen and Holly Furtick. And okay. so this, this is... This has been a big deal in the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, one of those silent kind of issues that people just don't want to bring out to the forefront because churches like Fellowship and Saddleback and Elevation don't even have Southern Baptist on the sign. You mm-hmm. don't. You don't even know that they're Baptist churches. You would have to well, look yeah, at their statement I mean, of faith somewhere. Point, I, I I just learned through this that that Rick Warren was Southern Baptist. I mean, I've known Rick Warren as long as I've been a Christian. I've known who he was. He goes back, you know, I got saved in 99 and he's been around at least that long. Yeah. And then, uh, Stephen Furtick, I thought he was a word of faither. Oh, he's word of faith. Yeah. No question about it. But, but his church is Southern Baptist. Okay. He, 
He went to Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. I think his roommate was J.D. Greer. Oh, okay. <laughs> they they had some sort of close association. I know wow. that uh, uh, coming okay. up together in the in the uh, uh, the seminary pipeline. Uh-huh. But anyway, uh, you know this one of the frustrations that we as conservatives when when Saddleback got kicked out by the executive committee a few weeks ago. Some of us conservatives were upset about that, and the liberals were like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, you got what you want. Why are you upset about it? Well, the reason why we're upset is, first of all, why did it take so long to get here? Why now? Because we're, we're, you know, we don't have blinders on here. We, something bigger is at play that you would decide mm-hmm. to do this right now. So what's happening now with Saddleback that you would decide to do this? And what about all these other churches that we have brought to your attention with regards to women and pastors? What about them? Why hasn't any decision been made on them? Though we've been bringing those names up for years. You know, you mentioned the Megan Basham article and stuff that was going on with Mike Law. Mike had found over like 160 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention that had women pastors. There's a lot of them out there. So what is it that's going on that this issue is not being handled? Why Saddleback? Why now? And again, so it's all going to hinge on Rick Warren and his arrogance, really, because like you said, didn't even know Rick Warren was Southern Baptist. He's mm-hmm. decided to throw all that out there right now and make this big hoopla and pull all this attention on him. Mm-hmm. So this is this is going to be a big turning point. Um, Rick Warren has written one of the best-selling Christian books of all time with Purpose Driven Life. Mm-hmm. And so you know he loves attention, mm-hmm. and he's going to throw himself into the largest Protestant denomination in the country and see if he can't change it. I, I truly think think that's his motivation. Yeah, I bet you're right. Well, I don't like this. I don't like, yeah, I'm a podcaster. I'm not a radio guy. You know, those, those radio guys are always looking at the clock and <laughs> like, when's the next break and when does it wrap up? And I don't like that. I like to be able to, to flush something out. And if it takes an extra 10 minutes, it takes an extra 10 minutes, but sure, we are hitting the clock and I appreciate your uh, coming on with us again. And uh, thanks so much for helping me squeak in an April episode before April was gone. Yeah, absolutely. My thoughts were a little discombobulated too, but you know, I hope we got it all in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much. And then uh, I'll uh, I'll look for your um, your links and add those to the show notes. And uh, hope to have you back again soon. Sure thing. Thanks. Well, thank you so much, Andy. God well, bless you, you and uh, Echo Zoe Radio. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. Well, that wraps up episode 180. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. Please check out the full library of the great shows available at the Christian Podcast Community. And Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the May episode of Echo Zoe Radio.